Welcome to Unity of Fairfax, a positive path for spiritual living and spiritual center for education, practice, and service in Northern Virginia. We hope you find inspiration in this week's message. Whatever state you're in, whether everything is going fantastic and for a lot of people, that's people in Kansas City right now, they're still celebrating. Or if you're in Philadelphia, they may, sorry, it's just how it is. Um, my relatives from Pennsylvania. Um, wherever you are, wherever I am, whatever's going on, that which we call God, the infinity of all possibility, all goodness, is there. Everyone who has ever achieved a goal, encountered an obstacle, and gone past and beyond it, made a difference in the world, or made a significant change in their lives, has discovered that there is a power and a presence within each and every one of us. And they have accessed that to make the world a better, richer, fuller place, and to bring themselves into the alignment of what they know to be true. And what we know to be true and what we teach in unity, we are all inherently good. We all deserve the best that life has to offer and that there is enough good to go around, enough to share without end. I sometimes think about thoughts like that when I look at Facebook. <laughs> you might be wondering, well, that's quite a segue. How'd that come about? Because there's a family story I want to get to. Uh, my mother's first name is Gail. She has a first cousin who might just be watching because I sent Elsa Gale the link. So that's Elsa Gale, my mother's first cousin. Elsa Gale has three daughters, one of whom is here today, Andrea Gale. And she's with her husband, Jamil, and their daughter, Alana. So it was on Facebook where Andrea and I connected. Once we moved here to D.C., it was just a couple years ago, and I thought to myself, holy Toledo, Batman, I have family that live really close by, which has not been the case in my entire adult life. And you can tell by looking, I've been an adult for a while. I don't act like it, but the truth is I've been an adult for a while. And so we decided, hey, let's get together. Let's be family. Let's connect. And I'm so blessed that you are all here with me today. So thank you. But what does this have to do with making the world a better, richer, more full, loving place? It's because this month is Black History Month. And if you've been around Unity of Fairfax for a while, you know this is an important and significant time for us. Because we have a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusivity, and accessibility. We have a commitment to build bridges and not walls. And one of the ways in which we do that is through the sharing of sacred story, namely the sharing of our own stories. And as I look around in the audience today, and I know with those of you at home, many of you have shared your personal stories that makes history real, that allows us to put a face to the experience and to make a heart connection so that we might have greater empathy for one another in this world. And we do this throughout the year for different reasons. Well, I got the bright idea, at least it seemed bright to me. I want to ask my youngest cousin, Alana, to share what Black History Month means to me. She's an incredible young woman. Listen for her name during next year's Olympic time trials in swimming. She's going to share a little bit about that. So ladies and gentlemen, Alana Josie. 
I'm so short. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I would first like to thank my cousin, Reverend Russell, for inviting me to speak at your Sunday service today, especially during Black History Month. My name is Alana Josie, and I'm currently a junior political science major and criminology minor at the illustrious Howard University, located in DC. I'm actually part of the SWIM team. <laughs> Thank you. I'm actually part of the SWIM team, and don't let this height fool you. I actually set a record last year. <laughs> My SWIM team is the only, and I mean only, all black Division I swim team in the nation. <laughs> the team has produced Olympians such as Latroya Pina, who is now my athletic advisor. I love annoying her every day. And Olympic trialist Miles Simon, who is one of my team captains this year. Recently, we have been featured in Sports Illustrated, and our story was number two, next to an article about Tom Brady retiring. It's about time. <laughs> Throughout this season, our women's team has gone five and three, and our men's team six and two. Hopefully having both teams win conference this week. Fingers crossed. Howard U, Swim and Dive was not always this great of a team. The last time Howard won a conference was 34 years ago. Put that into perspective. And we weren't the only all-black swim team out there either. But due to financial constraints and a widespread of disinterest in the sport, it dropped to just one, Howard University. After seeing that no one wanted HBCU swim teams to continue, Howard's was almost cut completely. And I know this for a fact because my head coach was actually in petition to get rid of it himself after his four years of swimming on the team. He's a great guy now, I promise. <laughs> but I think something clicked for him. He decided to keep Howard Swim and Dive alive, which is great because I wouldn't be where, where I'm at today if it wasn't for him. I can't say that I magically got the record for the mile last year at conference. So let's go back to where it all really started. My mom always said I was a water baby. My first time I ever touched chlorinated water was the week after I was born on Memorial Day, which is insane. <laughs> My parents should have just put me in swimming, but I had to be like every other little kid and start out in soccer. We all know how that goes. <laughs> That, of course, did not stick, so I tried t-ball and basketball. Those didn't stick either. Finally, they put me in swimming, which is at William Penn High School in York, Pennsylvania. And now it turned into an empty swimming pool where they put just random furniture in now, so it's very sad. <laughs> Being the kid I was and having very competitive parents, we wanted more for my swim career. So I joined the York YMCA, which is one of the top swim teams in the nation. When I started swimming there, I was one of two black kids. The other kid was 18, I was five. I knew there was always some hatred towards me because I would show up and absolutely not show out. I would be flipping cones, laughing with my teammates and just not caring. When it was time for meets, I would get record after record after record. And I thought the hate and jealousy was because I was fast, but it was because I was fast and black. Over the years of my training, I would speak my mind on certain sets we had in practice. 
But day after day, I was always silenced. You could say I was the angry black kid that needed to be quiet so they could earn certain things. I was silenced until I was about 17 years old when my teammates called me derogatory names at practice. When that happens, you can't be silenced. But I was. I decided to keep my mouth shut. And you may be thinking, oh my goodness, how could you be silent? I would have told them off. But that's the point. Black women are told to be silent, so they're not perceived as the angry black woman stereotype. So I had to deal with it, because those are the people I spend most of my time with, training in the pool three hours a day. That late summer, my mind was blown. The York YMCA hosted an event where inner city kids can come to the pool, meet Olympians, and learn how to swim. Did you know that in 2019, the USA Swimming Foundation reported that 64% of black children from the ages 4 to 18 have no or low swimming ability? Crazy, right? During that event, Howard's swim team came and helped out as well. I was mesmerized to see people who look exactly like me enjoying swimming as much as I do. Right then, I was invited on an official recruit visit, and I later committed to Howard University on that Thanksgiving day. If you asked if I made the right college choice, I would tell you, absolutely. Black History Month means sharing the same backgrounds and obstacles as those around me, and means overcoming those obstacles with not only myself, but the people who look like me, feeling loved by the people who look like me, and sharing memories and exchanging laughs with those who look like me. And lastly, especially swimming on a swim team with those who look exactly like me. Being a part of Howard Swim and Dive has taught me many things in my three years of being there. And the number one thing is that I'm currently making history with such an amazing team that I can call my family. We are Black History. Thank you. Oh my goodness, proud parents. You should meet the rest of the kids, oh my gosh. <laughs> wow, thank you, thank you Alana for sharing. We are all living history, every one of us. Everyone has a story worth telling. It is so important for us to tell our stories because when we do, we connect. When we connect, we build bridges. When we build bridges, we make the world a safer place for everyone. Thank you, Alana. It kind of reminds me of that old question. Do fish know that they swim and live in water? I mean, seriously, it's, it's kind of their natural state. Do they ever question, is, is there something beyond this? I mean, I'm sure they might be aware that every so often a hook comes down with some food that sometimes is problematic. They may be aware that there's land, but that's kind of their natural state. Do you ever question that? Which makes me ask how many of us ever question our state, our state of mind? Our, is this just how it is? We go through life and we just think that how it is for me is how it is for everybody and everything's all the same? Or do how often do we get awakened to the fact things could be different? I could possibly be in a different state of mind. This is relevant, as we will see in just a moment, to this process that we've been studying here at Unity of Fairfax these last few weeks on the life visioning process as put forward by the Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith from the Gape Center in California. 
But first, let's do a brief recap of where we are so we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. So life visioning is a meditation practice, but it doesn't necessarily only have to be a meditation practice with five steps. Let's take a quick look at those. So in the life visioning process, we ask what's the highest vision for my life or for a certain area of my life. It's not a matter of just sitting here and visualizing what I want. It's a matter of deep listening and waiting for spirit within to reveal to you what's your highest vision. Because the world around us may tell us, you should have this as your highest vision. You should buy this medication. You I mean, all that sort of stuff. But there is a wisdom within us that we sometimes refer to in unity. It's the Christ within, Christ in you, your hope of glory. Listen for what it tells you. Second thing, that when this vision comes, there is often the question, is there anything I'm being, doing, having, saying that I need to release in order for this great vision to happen? Often we get into habitual habits and behaviors. We don't even think about what we're doing until something comes along that says, you know, if you really want to have a be or do a better thing, you got to let go of some of this other stuff. It's just dragging you down. Next question, what must I embrace, embody, or become in order to manifest this higher vision? So this often means that I have to become something I have not yet been. I can just imagine a caterpillar crawling around thinking, what's my highest vision for my life? And then a butterfly, what do I have to release? What do I have to become? Well, first of all, I have to become goo. And then I have to crawl out of the goo and I'll have my wings. So it's kind of like that. And, and let me tell you, I can't imagine that's a really easy process. But we have to, if we want to be a higher person, if we want to have a higher goal, we have to be able to uh, be willing to become it. That's a lot of work, by the way. Ask Jamil, he's working on his doctorate. What skills, talents, qualities do I already have that will allow me to get to this highest vision? More often than not, we already have skills and talents we don't even realize we have. Capabilities that we haven't really put to use yet, just kind of lying dormant, waiting to be used. Is there anything else I need to know? This is one of those catch-all questions we sometimes take into meditation. What do I need to know? Is there anything I haven't asked? Anything going on that would be helpful for me to be aware of? And sometimes that comes, for instance, as the, as the, the, the guidance to, you know, you should make a call to so-and-so because they're into such and such. Oh, oh, I've got their number. I'll give them a call. That sort of thing. And then lastly, gratitude. Because if a higher vision for who you are and what you can be has been revealed, notice I say revealed and not made, then there is the inherent capacity to bring it to manifestation. As we say in unity, there is a power and a presence at work in you, through you, and as you that will allow you to get there. If you work the steps, it works if you work it. You may have heard that somewhere in another circle, and you're worth it. Give thanks that you deserve the highest and best good. Because the truth is, you do. I realize there may have been other folks in other places who have told you something different. Well, that's their story, and they can stick to it. We don't. We see the potential and the possibility for everyone, without fail, regardless of what you may have been told 
or what they said behind your back, or even to your face. In this process, recall there are two preparatory steps. The first one, it's a meditation process, so relax. Thank you, Teresa, for leading us in today's meditation. You know, we took a deep breath in, relaxed, you know, allowed our bodies to be comfortable. And the second step is to ground ourselves in the consciousness of love. So how do we do that? Well, an easy way is when you're sitting, getting still, getting into your meditative posture, however that happens to be, consider, think about the things you love people you love, places you love, things you love to eat, things you love to do. And then when you get that, then let those things go and just be with the feeling. Whether it's a, uh, a feeling of contentment or a flutter in your stomach or heart that maybe beats a little faster. That's how you know you've connected with love energy. And then you go through these other steps. However, when we are waiting for our vision to be revealed, and I will say also, this sort of stuff can happen at any time. Uh, you know, stay open to what ideas come from out of the blue and pop into your mind. You know, we sometimes say out of the blue is another name for God. Ideas that pop into your head, stay open to them. But your state of mind makes a difference in the quality of the vision that you can experience for your life and for yourself. There are five, four really common, but the fifth one, maybe not so much because we take it for advantage. advantage. Let's have the next slide, please. Five states of mind, all beginning with V, except for the last one, and we had to make it work. <laughs> Victim state of mind, you know anybody? Who, is, who you know who just kind of seems to, seem to uh, swim in a sea of victimhood all the time. Woe is me. Why does this always happen to me? Oh, my goodness, it happened again and that sort of stuff. Victimhood. Victimhood is something that is absolutely natural. And sometimes we are all victims. I'm not saying that that, that will never happen. Sometimes the bad thing does happen to you. It happens to me. Sometimes the earthquake comes. Sometimes the ignorance comes. Sometimes the violence comes. Sometimes the sickness comes. Sometimes we are all rightfully in a victim state of mind. I would just recommend not staying there for too long. We always want to honor with integrity what is our life experience. What are we actually feeling at the time? And sometimes it is that state of mind because it's a legitimate real life experience. Don't discount it. It often comes with gifts once you recognize you're in that state of mind. But you want to be careful about not pitching a tent and staying. Because I know people who do that for years on end. Just let it go for Pete's sake. Second state of mind, second state that we sometimes live in. This is a much nicer one, by the way. The victor. Everybody do your superman or super person pose. The victor. This is great. What this says is I have conquered the thing. I have overcome. I have survived. I have made it through. Yay, I got the gold medal, which is always okay. Get the gold medal. But the problem with that is that victor state of consciousness stands and lives in conjunction at all times with the thing it overcame the match, the marriage, 
the, the disease, the toxic work situation. It's, you know, as long as we always refer to ourselves as the victor over something, that other something is always with us. Or sometimes the, there's a victim that's implied in the victor-victim dynamic. And sometimes, like I said, we are the victor. We did overcome the thing. Pat yourself on the back. That's a huge win for yourself and for humanity. Let's move on because that's not all there is. Let's talk about this idea of vessel. And we talk about a lot. It's been on our music already. This is where we allow ourselves consciously to be a conduit for grace, for goodness, for love, for peace, for wisdom. This is what all the great mystics of the age have talked about, about allowing spirit to move through them, to have the wherewithal to be a co-creator of something better, not just for myself, but for everyone. Think about the great heroes of our age, whether it was Mother Teresa or Mahama Gandhi, the Dalai Lama or Bishop Tutu, all these wonderful people who have allowed themselves to make a difference and often at tremendous personal peril. They were vessels. Or, you know, think about your mom. Somebody, people who loved you and supported you. Vessels of goodness. The fourth one, verity. Verity, I say to you, verity. Very mystical, a state of mind that I would guess all of us have experienced at some time or another, maybe not, we didn't set out to experience it, but it has happened, where we just know that we are one with the universe, one with all things. It's like that the, the Buddhist monk who went to the hot dog vendor in Manhattan and said, make me one with everything. And it was kind of like that. Think hot dogs, hot dogs. That's where we're going today, hot dogs. There are those times in our lives when we can feel ourselves just melding with everything. This is a very mystical experience and not, we don't have that as average run-of-the-mill people all the time. But I would wager, sometime or another, you have felt something like that. Just show of hands for those of you here. Anybody ever have an experience kind of like that, where you're just like, oh, wow, yeah, it does happen. And it, it's so beautiful when it does, because you really get that sense, I am me, and I am more than me. At the same time, we understand why mystics live and often speak in terms of paradox happening all at once. I remember a time when we were living in Wilmington, North Carolina. It was Azalea Festival. It's our big honking thing that happens every year for the Azaleas. And I was sitting on the steps of the city uh, courthouse right there on Water Street. And I was sitting there, and everybody, I was looking at all the crowd of humanity walking by. A parade had just finished. And I just felt this immense sense of oneness, and I will not forget it. It's beautiful. Hasn't happened too much since then. But we don't have a lot of azaleas around here, so maybe that could be part of the problem. Well, we do, but not in the same way. And then this last state, 
we call it universe. We, meaning my, my friend, Reverend Chris Alexander from Celebration Center for Spiritual Living. One of the things we realized in our New Thought teachings is so much of it is about me, 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 me. So to me, by me, through me, as me. And we realized there was a missing element that has always been there. And this is as we. In this state of being, this state of mind, state of consciousness, we consciously realize and accept the responsibility and the privilege of knowing what I say, what I think, what I do impacts the collective, impacts everyone around me, just as what everybody else says and thinks and does impacts me. This is when I realize and understand my connection to the greater world all around me. This is when I realize without arrogance, I matter. I am important because I am shaping the collective experience in which we all live. I'm not totally responsible for it, but I impact it every bit as much as it impacts me. So it behooves me to be conscious and aware of the energetic impacts we are all making to one another, which is why it is so imperative that we share our stories, good, bad, and ugly, that shape our lives. These are the holy stories of spirit expressing as us in the world and us expressing the consciousness that shapes other people's stories. This is the idea of oneness. This is the idea of a unitive consciousness. This is that idea that says, oh, that's right. A rising tide lifts all boats. So as I do my work of understanding my values, recognizing my vision, owning the fact that I am born out of inherent goodness, and bringing myself into alignment that by doing that, I can speak and be and act in the world in such a way that invites others to do the same without me having to go knock on doors and convert anybody or anything like that. My very being is my own evangelism. Speaking my truth to anybody and everybody who will listen is a way of inviting collective awakening. That's powerful. And it reminds us, reminds me, how important it is for all of us to take care of ourselves, to surround ourselves in an environment with people who will love us and support us, encourage us, take us to practice at 5.30 in the morning if need be, so that that vision of who we can become becomes our reality. Now, next week when we gather, we will work the entire process in uh, in the collective altogether. But I wanted to have this time for this final point because the state of mind in which you find yourself will impact the vision you have for yourself. So, uh, so your homework this week is to consider what state am I in? You might want to ask yourself that randomly throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of the week. 
Am I expressing and living into my victimhood? Am I expressing and living into my victorhood? Am I expressing and living into my vesselhood? Am I expressing and living into my verityhood? Or am I expressing and living into my universehood? So what hood are you in? What state are you in? Just know that wherever you are, it's good. But be aware, because that state is the one you're carrying around and augmenting. Peace be with you. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into Unity of Fairfax podcast. You're welcome to join us live in Oakton, Virginia, every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Or view our live stream services from our website at unityoffairfax.org. We appreciate our donations to support this podcast to make our message of positive, practical spirituality more accessible to all. See you next time.